Welcome to Connections Podcast on Healthy Gambling and Gaming. I'm co-host Tana Russell, Assistant Director with the Evergreen Council on Problem Gambling. And I'm co-host Julie Hines, Executive Director with the Oregon Council on Problem Gambling. We're full of connections, health, and hope. Our goal is to provide powerful and empowering podcasts that fit into your busy lives, making the most of timely information and fun conversations. Well, like many things 2020, we did have some audio issues recording this episode, so we hope that you'll bear with us. I'm sure you can hear it pretty well, but again, 2020. This interview has been split into two episodes, and you are listening to part two. I mean, you know, looking at public health impacts, payday loans you know, and the need to regulate and, again, look at what's the impact on the least of us, the most vulnerable. And certainly this virus has increased everybody's sense of vulnerability. And some people deal with it by denying that it even exists. I mean, in really rigid denial, you know, the stories of people dying and still denying that that this is a, a virus. You know, so we hate feeling vulnerable, and it's certainly magnified by our society that doesn't show anybody being vulnerable. We, you know, death doesn't even really exist. You know, people, but this has brought it up front and center, and people are going to cope in lots of different ways some helpful, some not so helpful. Um, You know, and gambling as a way of proving that I'm not vulnerable. Just the act of gambling has always been that, you know, as a way of coping with trauma. If I win, I'm not vulnerable. If I get enough money, I'll never be vulnerable again. Yeah. Um, and that's just exacerbated with this virus. I'll show up without a mask because I'm not vulnerable. Um, but that's part of the human condition that's common humanity we all have those impulses of not wanting to acknowledge that we can be vulnerable yeah that's very well said i mean we had a a patient in the uh, in the medical center he you know he contracted covid uh out he believed at the casino and it was really interesting. Uh, he's not a gambling disorder, alcohol user, just a regular guy, just like, you know, a blue collar, middle-class guy is out there. And he got sick enough to be hospitalized in the medical center. Uh, we went to see him as part of the mental health team. And he said to him, hey, you know, do you have any regrets? He's like, on what? On living? No. On getting the virus? Sure. Um, and he said, and he was so kind of casual about it. He's like, but, you know, I trust um, you know, the docs that are going to take care of me and I know I'm in good hands. And I left feeling really just torn because on one hand, it was great knowing that we could help them and that we, we did. But on the other hand, there was just this casualness, as you say, Lori, this invincibility that, well, if I get it, I'll be fine. And although, and that's where, even when you see the odds played out about the virus, yeah. it's created this really weird meta thing where people talk about infection rates and fatality rates and then people are starting to do these odds 
and say, oh, the odds of me getting this are so low, I might as well run it. But you never hear people say, you know what, that same rate of death from COVID is like a payout rate from a slot machine. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. oh, and you see these awful, awful stories of people betting on the number of people who are going to get virus and their employees and the number mm-hmm. of people sick. And it's just, you say, and I wonder, what is all that? That's just appealing to our base human nature of, uh, of looking for action and, 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 and making, taking these weird bets that aren't healthy yeah. for anyone. Well, why don't we make a bet on how many, uh, how many masks I can produce for my company versus your, you know, why don't we, <laughs> you know, take a bet and then, you know, uh, about, you know, how many vaccines we can yeah. distribute versus. And again, I can't say it enough. I think our field needs to be more active in making those connections and stories heard, writing the legislation and saying, you know, predatory lending is still going on. Partnering with casinos that are still open saying, what are you doing for vaccine distribution? What are you doing to protect your thousands of employees there? Um, we don't do enough of that. You know, and our, our cause still gets swept under, still gets lost, but it's it's still there and we're we're surviving, you know, and still getting some funding for treatment. But you know, I do worry that as other industries, you know, suffer, you know, are they gonna say, you know what, gambling treatment, you know what, they can just go online. And the irony is if they say, oh, there's a million 12 steps online, there's a million telehealth services. Why do we need to keep paying for services? Let's contract this and do it cheaper. But mm-hmm. look, you're already collaborating between two Pacific Northwest states. If I were a regular, I'd say, you know what, why do I need to pay two states? Why don't I just pay one person to do the work across both states? Because that person doesn't need to travel anymore. So I do worry about that as well, that although, you know, this virtual world has allowed us to do things more efficiently, mm-hmm. we need a lot of resources to do the work. So we need to continue to make our voices heard on that. Yeah, you know, on a more positive side, it's helped us, you know, maybe look at how we can offer services to more people, especially with in the gambling field where it's really been hard to have somebody who knows gambling in every inch of a state so that it's easy to have physical access to treatment for gambling disorder. This has really expanded the possibilities of reaching people you know, in the more rural um, areas and making 12-step meetings more accessible. So that's the positive piece of that in, in terms of increasing accessibility. And every counselor I've worked with says, I hope they don't stop funding online treatment after the virus goes away. So hopefully we realize you can have both available. And we don't wanna lose the ability to have personal contact physically mm-hmm. with folks, but we wanna offer those options when it's really not possible, when I can't leave my one-year-old and and come into the psychologist's office, or I can't travel three hours to get to a counselor. Yeah, that's one positive I've heard over and over again over the past several months, at least in our state. I Mm -hmm. I don't know what it's like in y'all states, but that treatment facilities are seeing much better attendance rates Mm -hmm. because people aren't having to deal with as many barriers just to get there. Uh, right. And uh, the child care issue, of course, transportation, et cetera. Um, and also for things like support group meetings, I know for many that can be 
really nerve wracking. You know, if they've never been to support group meetings before, it can just cause a lot of anxiety thinking of doing this new social thing where they're not sure if they're going to know anybody. And for, for a lot of people, they've been able to explore that door in a way that feels safe and comfortable for them and uh, realize, oh, I, I like support group meetings. You know, this this is okay for me or, or, or finding things that worked for them because they had a little more of a a more welcoming door to go through to get access to it. And hopefully, you know, when there's um, the option to do face-to-face meetings and treatment, um, I, I agree with you, Lori. I hope that the virtual option doesn't disappear because I think we need to have more options because the fewer options we have, we're just putting a barrier in front of somebody, right? right? So if we can keep those doors open, I, I think that'll that'll give us the um, you know, best access to services for the largest amount of people. Yeah. You know, and, and we're not very good as a species or as a culture thinking through, let's think this through before we forge ahead. You know, and we're already in the middle of an incredibly exciting virtual world, you know, that's much more engaging than the physical world is much more interesting. I can be the hero of my virtual world. You know, I'm not the hero of my physical world. I'm just an ordinary, you know, vertically challenged little old lady. (laughs) I can be Wonder Woman, you know, in the virtual world, you know, or or whatever. Oh, you're Wonder Woman in the real world too. I can slam I can slam dunk like I've always wanted to in the virtual world. I can't do that in the physical basketball things. Yeah, yeah, and that is interesting that I have not seen yet any virtual reality products for gambling disorder treatment. Mm-hmm. Um, I know we talked about that decades ago, but you know when I think about the technology that we have, uh, like with the Oculuses and the, mm-hmm. and so many virtual reality, you know, what would that look like? So, like, just off the top of my head, you have a virtual reality headset where you see your full therapist, you know, the whole thing. Does that improve therapy design? Or again, the classic when we originally thought of it, it was like, oh, you know, we you know, have scenes at the casino and then work on to get people to deal with urges and cravings. Mm. But, you know, when we do virtual reality and in, in the hospital, it's things like your backgrounds, like sunsets and nature scenes and for people with chronic pain and they put mm-hmm. that thing on and then they kind of just kind of calm down. I mean, if I were to have a virtual reality headset, it's going to be things, you know, like the Cubs or, you know, the Bears or, mm-hmm. you know, NCBG conferences, things like that. Ah. Um, <laughs> That's an, an area of technology that, that we haven't used uh, as providers. I think that that's really, really interesting. But, um, you know, the other day, too, you know, I do a lot more intakes for people who don't live in California. So it's weird because there are so many different rules. Mm-hmm. Like, but we're fortunate that the telehealth rules from the federal government for MDs, for MDs, is, is a little bit more loose where they say, as long as the receiving state allows that, our state of California says, yes, I can practice. Across state line. That's not always true, right? I think right. in, in other right. health uh, professionals, yeah. I feel like as a field, that's another area where I think gambling treatment professionals need to lobby for that because because there are literally just a few hundred, if not a couple thousand of us throughout the states. Uh, and I think that would be important if someone 
uh, wanted to get your expertise and they lived in Florida and Lori, they should, just like if someone, it was a perfect match for um, someone who wanted to see a therapist mm -hmm. in Oregon, if they live in California, that would be you know really ideal. And, and again, it, was, it, it breaks the barriers down because the patient said to me, oh, well, can you make, can you prescribe to me in, in Michigan or in Florida? And I said, well, I'll just put it through electronically and it goes through, it goes through. So those are all barriers that never existed before or that existed before that we've broken down. That's really mm -hmm. good. So, but. I mean, the other thing I was reading an article on apps, Yeah. you know, like for college students to help them not cross the line into pro and, and the apps are like really underdeveloped when it comes to gambling. There are interesting apps for um, healthier eating, for smoking cessation, for a lot of other things. And we really don't have very good apps to do harm reduction or help with setting limits and sticking to budgets and things like that. So the whole electronic mm -hmm. help field, we really need to be more involved in. And there really isn't any, I, I can't think of a single one. I mean, uh, we tried to develop one here at UCLA about decades ago, we did, but then when the Mac software upgraded, it didn't upgrade with it. So uh, closest one I use is one called Pair Therapeutics, but that's prescription based only from a doctor. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, does the Oregon Council or does Evergreen, do, 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 do they have a, an app that's really treatment based? We have some apps that are referral based, but nothing that's, you know, like what we designed. So, no, and I think that's the thing. It's 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 a great point, and I feel like we just kind of, as a field as a whole, we kind of tend to just like hitch our wagon on whatever else is available out there and try to, you know, shoehorn mm -hmm. it in to see if gambling works in those areas. It's it's a matter of like, do you create some crap with the limited funding you have and hope it works, or do you sort of? I mean, to this point, we're talking about sort of this more widespread connection with each other it's like is there a way that we can pool resources to make something that actually would be effective that would be um, a high quality product for people well i mean this is a perfect example of where the industry and their responsible gambling practices can converge with you know prevention and intervention to develop apps that are very appropriate for recreational gamblers as well as at-risk gamblers. You know, in Massachusetts, they have a play my way where they can set voluntary limits. Mm -hmm. You could develop apps for that. Yeah. Yeah. Does um, GameSense have an app? GameSense does not have an app yet. It's uh, mm -hmm. it's just, you know, they, they have their pre-commitment stuff online like everybody else does. But to Lori's point, there's no actual pre-commitment tool at the user's level when they're going to play, yeah. um, except within that one casino in Massachusetts. And obviously the Canadians, if we look across the border, they're much more advanced than we are. And have, have you seen anything in, in Canada that's been an app or any kind of sort of pre-commitment tool? Yeah, I, I don't think they exist. I think the study I read was Australian mm -hmm. yeah. and, and they didn't have apps. so. We have, you know, a, a lot of work to be done to develop effective products. You know, I, I think of even some of my meditation apps that say, you know, what's your mood today? And they'll give me a meditation to match that mood. Mm -hmm. You know, so what's your mood today? 
you know, then it could list your risk for gambling because of what your mood state is and yeah. give you some alternatives. So, you know, not just how much money do you want to spend, but, you know, are you in the right emotional place? There is the gambling therapy app. There's some other like recovery, self-help oriented apps that are either gambling or kind of versatile. And then there's Gamban also. We actually have a uh, training on Gamban coming up. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, there's a few things. There's definitely not as many as there need to be, right? Like there's, you can have a, a plethora of color by number apps, but not, (laughs) you know, not enough for (laughs) help with gambling or or monitoring, right? Like that's where our priorities are. (laughs) Yeah. And it seems like all the operators have their own specific things. Like here in Oregon, we have a, it's like off track betting sort of industry that we have. And it's really interesting because it's, it's this experience where it's, it's a slot experience, but you're actually betting on horses. It's like, you know, it's completely getting around the rules, uh, if you will. But, but one of the things that they do have is they do have on their site, they have this pre-commitment opportunity Mm -hmm. for you to set a budget, set a time, all that kind of stuff, but it's so proprietary. Like every operator has their own specific things and listening in on a betting on sports in America this last year and, or this last week and listening to some of the RG, the responsible gambling people talk together and talk about like wanting to collaborate that seems really new. And uh, I've been in this field for a long time, but Lori and Tim, you've been in the field longer. And I'm curious if you've uh, heard such talk of collaboration among the industry before. No, I think this is a new thing that I've just begun hearing that this past year, you know, and I'm hearing a, a commitment to responsible gambling in a different way. But we have to keep pushing because what do you mean when you say responsible gambling? Yeah. Is it still putting the onus on the individual to gamble responsibly or is it taking responsibility to how responsible are the products I'm offering? Preach. Yeah. (laughs) You know, am I looking at, especially with these newer technologies, you know, the simple version is, take the darn stop button off of your machines. It does nothing except give the illusion that the person is in control. And with more sophisticated technologies, we have to become more sophisticated in what does responsible mean in terms of how this technology is being utilized. Um, So yeah, you know, and there's so much to stay on top of. And it's another impact of the virus is it sucks all our energy. Mm-hmm. So we don't have time to pay attention. You know, it's like sleight of hand. Look yeah. over here, but don't see what I'm doing with this hand back here. You know? So we have to really pay attention to things that are sneaking through that we haven't been focusing on, whether it's politics or, or gambling or gaming. And you know, it's a challenging new world and old brains like mine get a little tired. I mean, in last election, uh, there were a number of states that, that passed and expanded gambling, even uh, this last month, right? So we had uh, some more states add in sports betting, and I don't know if there were any more brick and mortar casinos. And I still think um, part of the trends uh, 
we, we have to address is that I just don't see enough of the casinos as an industry saying, what is it their vision of how they want to be viewed in America? Do they want to be viewed like the movie industry or like amusement parks? Or do they want to be viewed like alcohol and tobacco? So until we figure that out, I think we're still going to struggle where a lot of Americans will still view it gambling as a solution, as a opportunity to advance their state in life. And I think that's when it gets dangerous. Mm -hmm. You're not going to become a millionaire overnight. You're not going to make enough to pay the bills. You're going to make a few bucks if you're lucky, and you're going to have a good time if you're fortunate. Um, you know, last weekend was a perfect example where, you know, because sports betting is so ingrained in our culture, this generation of children growing up are growing up with sports betting lines as part of their daily discussion. So when I was a kid growing up, I, I look in the back of the sports page, I see what the betting lines are, just, you know, just it was there. Now, you know, my, when my 15 year old turns on ESPN and get the betting shows and all that, it's there. But it was really interesting last weekend where there was this boxing pay-per-view <laughs> between Mike Tyson and Roy Jones, Jones mm -hmm. been in their 50s. And it was three hours of just entertainment. But it was all entertainment centered around a variety of different things that we deal with every day. Gambling, cannabis, uh, sport, you know, you name it. And, and the, the funniest part, I, I wish I had a screenshot, was uh, Mario Lopez, you know, talking about this fight with this hip hop song and then uh, the betting lines for an exhibition boxing fight, an exhibition fight with sponsored by Weed Maps. So, <laughs> it, and it was all this perfect constellation of where I think the industry is headed. On one hand, I thought about that night and it was very entertaining. It was, it was fun. Yeah, I, we, I did buy it and we watched it with the family. We got a lot of laughs. We were texting our new. friends. But at the same time, Gambling and cannabis and gambling was still viewed as part of just the entertainment evening. But what it wasn't viewed was, oh my gosh, look at that number. We if we got on it, we jumped on it. If we had in, you know, you know, in mm -hmm. betting, we could make 100 200 400 dollars So that's that messaging branding. I'm hoping we can influence to really use the casinos to say we are at best what we are, community centers bringing people together, an expensive form of entertainment for some, and something that young or that vulnerable people should never really ever be a part of. So that messaging isn't there, nowhere near there. And I think that's where our field has a lot to do with it. And then Lori says, when these bills get passed during a pandemic and they slide through and we don't comment on them or we don't get asked to talk about them, then the next few bills in March will go through or there'll be next year, eight or nine, 10, 12 more states that go online, or there'll be other rules that we're not paying attention to. So again, again, I can't say it enough, the enticement of all the things we talked about this morning, that's the one that concerns me the most. The fact that casinos, there is no regulation on the maximum amount that they can give for an enticement. Mm -hmm. I think that's, that's concerning and, and we really should be concerned about that. Well, and the more states look to gambling to solve budget deficits, and they're going to be much larger budget deficits as a result of the virus and the need that states have had to address the virus plus the economic, you know, so wanting to look to gambling 
um, as a way of making money for the state is going to be just as problematic. And it sets up that um, challenge to how do we focus on responsible gambling if that's going to cut into our profits as a state moneymaker. So the policymakers, you know, are loath to even talk about the issue because it may cut into their profits. Now, we need other ways of looking at how do we as a society pay for the things that are important for our government to do? Uh, not again, just putting that on the backs of the most vulnerable who are paying more than their share of the taxes because they're, they're gambling a larger percentage of their incomes. Um, that's a real value-based perspective that I, I think we need to keep bringing up. And I will continue to bring up to my, <laughs> till I fall headfirst on my computer. <laughs> yeah, I, I think you're absolutely, absolutely right. And I think if there's one thing, well, we've already talked about several good things actually this year. So if I can name another one, it would be that this pandemic has really highlighted our weak spots mm -hmm. in our systems, mm -hmm. in our services, in our funding, et cetera. And I think it's really brought some much long and long needed awareness to those weak spots in those underserved areas, et cetera. And I think the other thing I was gonna mention is, um, I think a lot of what we've talked about kind of ties back to caution fatigue, where everybody is kind of so tired of having to be cautious yeah. all the time for so long. It impacts our decisions, like like Tim, your example. Yeah, I'll go to the I'll go to the casino and, and drink and gamble because whatever, if I get sick, the medical professionals will take care mm -hmm. of me. You know, and, and it, it impacts people's decision making where they're taking more risks in the fall of 2020 than they did in the spring of 2020 because they were more fearful uh, of the impacts of the virus then than they are now simply because people are, are, are tired of it. But I think on the positive side of that is I've also seen this wave of people looking for positive, right? I browse Reddit almost, you know, every day. It's just one of my little routines to unwind in the evening. And I've seen an increase of people intentionally making positive posts, yeah. right? I mean, the internet was filled with cats and puppies before, but oh my gosh, now it's unreal, <laughs> right? And also like positive acts of human kindness as well have kind of flooded the internet and uh, that I think has been a real positive where, where people are trying to start to fight in a different way. I'm gonna fight the negativity and all of the violence that we see online and all this crisis we're all having to adapt by adding positive and sharing it and forwarding that instead. Well, and I think it's also encouraged some people to get more real, yeah. you know? And, and I thought yeah. I was kind of woke before this stuff <laughs> happens, so but, you know, 
No, uh, no, I'm seeing, you know, my racism more deeply, Mm -hmm. my white privilege more deeply, Mm -hmm. that I can work at home and still have an income. Yeah, you know, and the privilege that's involved in that, you know, all that kind of stuff, you know, has really been highlighted. It's like, well, the sun has come out and it's showing us all the shadows, but we're seeing the shadows. Now we have a chance to speak to them, to deal with them, to keep the highlight on that. So we have a better opportunity to address these gaps and these, you know, holes in our systems and in our own awareness. Yeah, and I think the motivation to address those is also contagious. Mm. You know, people are are very excited about the momentum that's building to let's address this. Like, why is this stuff still going on, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> let's get this dealt with yeah. as best that we can, each contributing in in how whatever way that we can. Yeah. So what's uh, what's one big thing for you in this coming year, for each of you? Retirement? No. <laughs> Retirement. Good luck. You're never retiring. Neither one of you are ever retiring. No, I've given uh, up. I will never let surrender. you retire. I had a... Uh... Scotland golf trip plan, but uh, well, who knows if that's going to actually happen, but that's all right. No, I mean, I, I think about, um, you know, 2021, you know, I, I don't think like a year or two years ahead. I think that's part of um, just how I, I just do things. I, I think of, uh, you know, what are the projects that are most interesting now? Uh, what are the things that are going to happen? And at least for 2021, like, I think for me, at least in the gambling field, you know, we do want to do more of the standardization of telehealth. We do want to create and figure out how do we get more treatment inside telehealth that's consistent, that can be shared, that can be used by others. So we're working with a number of other emerging telehealth companies to kind of do that. Uh, at least for me, I, I'm, I'm really, really, um, really, really uh, concerned about, again, just not enough physical uh, health or people taking care of themselves physically, sleep, exercise, good nutrition, uh, the health mm-hmm. you're taking. So uh, I, I think those are the things I'm focusing on. I think on the, on, uh, on the really specifically on the gambling side, we are trying to work on developing some treatment manuals for internet gaming disorder and gambling uh, online inside video games, but we just don't have enough data on that. So, I mean, I, you know, the simple thing, it's, there's no one specific you know, project, it's just going to be having the privilege to be able to still do the work. And that, that's the thing. And I think about in a year ago, if people had said, you know, your not only your livelihood profession, but just your entire survival would be at stake, I'd say that's kind of ridiculous. And so this this ability to say and practice gratitude every day, knowing, yeah, this really could be my last day today, but I'm going to make the most of it. And I'm not going to complain about seven hour Zoom day. I'm going to say, no, I'm going to do what I can. And when I'm tired, I'm going to say I'm done. So that that's, that's the key for me. 2021 is that every day is, it's not cliche, but just putting in a solid day of work and making sure that every day I laugh and I cry and I do all the things I've been doing. And, and if we can do that through 2021, when we do this next year at this time, we can look back and say, look at all the really great things that we did and look at all the uh, you know, things that we, we, we didn't quite make, but that's, that's how I say it. Mm, well said. Yeah. 
No, I, I, I agree for me, it, it's savoring each day. Mm-hmm. You know, really savoring the little things and, and taking really good care of myself. You know, going for my walks first thing in the morning, doing my yoga, doing my meditation, um, eating healthy with respect for the earth as well as my own body. So all of those self-care things that I preach, I I also want to practice. Um, Certainly practicing more deeply my mindfulness and self-compassion practices and figuring out other ways to um, kind of spread that teaching. Uh, wanting to do more in terms of teaching those two folks in our field and how really to utilize those effectively in in working with clients. And um, also getting the word out that gambling isn't an isolated activity. Mm. It's connected to all of the other major areas uh, of our communities and our public health systems and we need to be aware of how gambling and problem gambling interact with all of these other more headline making um, events and uh, areas of life. So, yeah. wow. Well, thank you both so much. You, uh, we kind of have some themes today around sort of this me, 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 and not really having this collective sense of, of giving. Um, but your giving is contagious. Both of you, what you do for our field, you each have very different practices and your work, um, but it's palpable. And I'm sure people can hear that compassion and, uh, and love for your work and desire for us to only improve uh, in this podcast. And, and we really, really appreciate you, you spending time with us. We, we did call it the all-star show. Uh, (laughs) because this is really truly we're so grateful for you spending yet another hour with us uh this this afternoon and this morning to just share with us your thoughts about 2020 thank you as well thank you stay safe this has been dr Lori rugel of maryland center for excellence on problem gambling and dr tim fong of the ucla gambling studies program thank you for joining us Thanks for listening. You can find us on the ECPG website at evergreencpg.org, also on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. And in Oregon, you can find us at the OCPG website at oregoncpg.org. You can also find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. And please know that if you or a loved one is seeking help with problems caused by gambling, you are not alone. Help is available. And here's where we're going to give you some resources. If you are in Washington, you can call the Washington Problem Gambling Helpline 24-7. Call or text 1-800-547-6133. Or you can chat through our website, evergreencpg.org on your computer, phone, or tablet. And if you're in Oregon, you can contact the Oregon Problem Gambling Helpline 24-7 by calling 1-877-MY-LIMIT. That's 1-877-695-4648. Or you can head to Oregon Problem Gambling Resource website at opgr.org. There you can get resources, chat, and text. Help is available for the person struggling with gambling as well as anyone affected by gambling. Join us next episode and stay Stay connected. connected.